All right, all right, everybody doing good? Shout Merry Christmas. All right, I'm glad you guys are here today. We are talking about the spirit of Christmas. Open up your Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. This is a good time for me to say good morning to Daystar Church in Hartsell in Madison. Love you guys. Uh, coming to see you soon. And hey, I want to say hello to everybody who worships with us online. You're looking at a computer screen or you've got it on your TV screen. We're glad you're worshiping with us. We're so glad you're here. Can everybody clap your hands real big for all the folks that worship online? Love you guys. Thank you for being here. Um, I do want to say that if you worship with us online, I want to cordially invite you to come be with us in the building, experience the worship, uh, just be among the people of God. We'd like to give you everything we can, but I could not give you today Nana's cookies. My mother was up here all day yesterday with a few other ladies making cookies for everybody. I cannot translate that uh, through the video screen, but everybody else, you can have all the cookies you want, all right? Can I get an amen to that? Something good about Christmas. You know, Jesus was, you know, the bread of life. And we believe those cookies, you know, really are the bread of life. A little bit of sugar and butter, but bread is involved, I think. Uh, what do I know? I don't cook cookies. Anyways, I'm glad you're here today. We're going to be talking about the spirit of Christmas. Before I get into that, I want to thank you and just kind of tell you uh, how generous our church is being in this season. You know, now, we're in a larger than Christmas season, a three-year window called MOVE. And, and we really, and I shared this uh, over the whole month of November, I really believe that God's put us in a new season for our church. And uh, he, he spoke to me and said, you know what, our church has been, has been amazing. It's reached a lot of people, and it's, it's been a great story to this point. But that is really just a moment, and God wants to take us to a movement. Come on, everybody say, from a moment to a movement. And I really believe that, something that outlasts us all, something that's bigger than just our time here, that, that these these facilities that we're building, that we're going to see more people reach Jesus or come to know Jesus than we've ever done before. And, and I want to thank you. Like, you guys have been super generous. That was a really exciting kickoff. I want to tell you the generosity continues. As, as we're seeing it, people are still being very generous, and I want to thank you for that. Here's what I want you to know, though. Our church is continuing to be generous outside the walls of this church. What you see here is just a, a, a tiny nugget of us reaching people. You know, we just finished uh, the, um, the, the serve day that, that happened all over the community. We just, we've literally had three teams go to the Bahamas and help rebuild houses and churches that were destroyed by Hurricane Dorian. We're going to be doing a lot more of those trips, by the way. If you've never been on a mission trip and you're in construction and like to go out and help us rebuild stuff, we're going to be keep doing that. We've had a lot of families that have been in need right around the holiday season. You know, one, one family in our church had a house fire. We've been able to respond and, and help some with. A couple uh, single moms that, that can't buy Christmas gifts and, and, and couldn't, couldn't get help in some other areas. We've been able to help this month. Of course, we give all kind of gifts away. Every Christmas, we do Christmas for kids. So I just want to tell you what you're seeing here, this, this great weekend experience, it's really not just who our church is. Our church is this, and it reaches beyond these walls, reaches a lot more people. And I want to thank you for being a generous church. Continue to do that. Love on people, serve, give, sacrifice, because that's really who Jesus is, y'all. He is not just building buildings and singing songs about him and telling his stories. He is getting ourselves up off the seats, marching our feet out there in the community and making a difference. So aren't you glad you're a part of a church that does that? Come on, give God praise for that. 
We want to keep doing that. And you find somebody that looks like they know what they're talking about, all right? Somebody with a name tag. If you want to be a part, you want to serve, you want to help, you want to go on a mission trip, something like that, let us know because we want to help you get out there and help you do stuff. All right, you ready for this? Listen to this statement. The greatest event in human history began with an unplanned pregnancy. Have you ever thought about it that way? (laughs) 14-year-old girl not planning on getting pregnant gets pregnant, and that's the beginning of the greatest event in human history, the virgin birth of the Son of God. Wow. And as unplanned as it was for Mary and Joseph and their families, poets and, and, and kings and prophets and priests actually had been writing about it for centuries. I, I showed you uh, last week as we walked through, I called it the spirit of Christmas past, showed you what the Holy Spirit was doing before the birth of Christ. And I I read you uh, 12 verses that specifically prophesied the coming of Christ. And there were hundreds of years before Christ. But but there literally are over 300 in the Old Testament we could walk through. And they're all written in an 1,100-year period of time. And that period stops 400 years before the birth of Christ. And they go into such great detail about who he was, where he would be born, who would be there, who wouldn't be there, what other people would be doing, what they'd do to him after he was born. It goes into amazing detail. And it begs the question, why? Why is all that so necessary? Why, why, do we have to, uh, why does God have to go through all those specific details of his life? Why, why can't we just read his teaching? Why couldn't a great leader just emerge and teach the same great things about loving your neighbor and considering someone over yourself and, and being generous and not caring about what religious people think, but loving a person for who they are? Those are great teachings, right? That turn the other cheek. If someone steals your coat, give him your shirt as he's running away. What didn't... Who would have thought of that story, right? But, but why isn't that enough? Why aren't stories like that enough? Why do we have to have all these miraculous, unique details that all point to that one moment he was born? Why? Well, Josh McDowell said it better than, any, than, than I could, and I've written that in your notes, and here's why. Because the central issue of Christianity is not the teachings of a man called Jesus, but the person of Jesus Christ himself. Can somebody give me an amen to that? It is not just the red words that that you read in the New Testament. It is who he is. You can't just know his stories and his sermons and his miracles. You must know him because Christianity is not about his teachings. It's about him. It's about Christ. It's not enough to know his words. You need to know him. Did you hear me, church? It's not enough to know his words without knowing him. That's really why he came. That's really what this season is all about. Because the do's and don'ts of religion will never sustain you. You can can have an emotional high. You can make a decision that intellectually this is the right way for you to go. But it'll never sustain you without a genuine faith in who he is. See, see, I, I live that uh, journey. I, I, I'm sort of a detailed person. I'm not sort of. I'm a very detailed person. And, and, and I, I can think of details. I see details. And it was easy for me when I was young in the faith to just read Jesus' writings and memorize what they said and memorize the do's and don'ts. And, and see, everything like compartments, do this and this will happen. Do that and that will happen. And I saw everything as cause and effect. And, and that was sort of my walk with God. But I realized eventually that was not enough. Just knowing what he says and trying to do what he says would never be enough because there's got to be a moment in your, exist, your, your walk with God where there's something you can't explain, something that, that you can't 
describe to someone else, something that you have felt, but you can't tell someone else, something that you've experienced, but you you try as you might, you can't help someone else experience it. They've got to jump in. It's kind of like jumping in the pool, right? What if somebody had never been in a pool before? They're standing outside. It's 110 degrees. You're doing the backstroke in cool water, and he's like, what does that feel like? Eventually, you've told him all you know to tell him. You've splashed around as much as you can. You're spitting water out of your mouth and ears and trying to make him like it. Eventually, you climb up the bank and you shove him in the water and say, this is what it feels like. Am I right? Is that what your walk with God is like? It's like something that I can't explain. You can't read it into your life. You can't memorize it into your life. You can't follow all the do's and don'ts. Well, I came to church and I didn't lie and I didn't cheat and I didn't steal and I didn't have sex before marriage and I don't drink too much alcohol. And I, I That is not what walking with Christ is about. You've got to experience it. You can't explain it. You have to experience it. And so to solve this problem, God sent Jesus to us. He said, I can't just let you know my word. You've got to know my son. You've got to know him intimately. And the miraculous thing of the son of God coming to earth, becoming flesh, and a human being, being born of a woman, not just any woman, but a virtuous woman who was a virgin. That's the miracle of Christ coming. Now, here's the thing I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the spirit of Christmas present. What is the Holy Spirit doing in that moment where Jesus is being born. And I'm going to start with a pre-miracle. You know, it's like Jesus' miraculous birth was so amazing that the, the world would not be ready for it. And so to get us ready for the miracle of Jesus' birth, God did a smaller miracle. Now, you got to be God when you're doing big miracles and then small miracles, right? I mean, I, how many would take any miracle? You just like bring it, God, big, small, whatever. He's doing little miracles to get us ready for the big miracle. The little miracle was the birth of a man named John, who we would later call John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. John's mother was unable to have a child. His father, uh, they, were, they were older, and, and they had determined that they couldn't have children But this is a miracle before the miracle, almost like when you have a grand opening of a restaurant and you have sort of a soft opening. You want to have good food for maybe family and friends and get the word out that the the big opening is coming. This is kind of like a pre-miracle. I'm going to walk you through that. If you have your Bible, Luke chapter 1, we're going to read about 21 verses here, so so follow along with me and let's read this whole account here. Luke 1 and 5, it says, In the time of Herod the king of Judea was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was the first priest. And so these are two people who were meant to be priests. It's a man who was of the descendant of priests and a woman who was of a descendant of priests. This is like they got priesthood written all over them. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, But they were childless because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Let me stop just for a minute. See, these are Jews. And the Jews both then and now are so focused on the letter of the law that that if you get any part of it wrong, you you could walk in the spirit of the law and the understanding of what what God is saying, but if you miss one detail, they're going to condemn you to hell over it. And and, and the problem here was that in in the first book of the Bible... God commands Adam and Eve, and he says, you know what? Subdue the earth. Control the earth. You're, you're, you're the, the pinnacle of my creation. This earth is made for you. I want you to take care of the earth. I want you to subdue it and control it. But beyond that, he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. 
put a bunch of kids and sons and daughters on the earth. And so the Jews both then and now took that to mean you got to have babies. And if you're not having babies, you know, there's some kind of problem with you spiritually. So when a priest is unable to have a baby, which by the way, that's not what God meant, by the way, I, I want to say that, but, but they, they didn't understand that, you know, or, or even to this day that, that maybe it's not God's will for you to have children, or maybe it's not God's timing for you to have children. They went straight to the idea that they were sinful and that this priest of God couldn't even have children, that God has judged him for his unfaithfulness in some way, even though the scripture clearly says they were both faithful. All right. So, so when we read on, I'll pick up in verse nine. uh, or verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God, and he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. That's his priestly duty. Verse 10, when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now stop for a minute. In the temple, there can be only one person there. The only person is the priest of God. He's all alone in there, and he may be there all day long. It's very dark in there. He's burning incense. He's waving around little smoke stuff, and he finds out he's not alone. How many of you, when you're like at home and you find out there's somebody else there, you freak out? Come on, ladies, don't lie. God's here. I'll just be walking around the house, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of a big dude. I'll be walking around the house, and I'll see Leslie there, and I'll just say, ah! I'm like, honey, I, I live here, you know. 25 years, you're going to see me from time to time. She freaks out, you know. Well, this is a real reason to freak out, okay? Like an angel is in the room. And you remember I told you last week that an angel is not a fat, naked baby shooting heart arrows. Remember that? He's a giant, big, powerful warrior with wings and a sword, maybe out of flame. I mean, he's like a big dude, right? And so he's gripped with fear. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer, they've only prayed for one thing their whole life. I want to have a child. I want to have a child. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. She's, you know, like 100 years old or something. You're going to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you. Many people will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll never take wine or fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, filled with the Holy Spirit. And even before he's born, only two people in Scripture in history filled with the Holy Spirit before they're born, Jesus and this guy, John the Baptist. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll go before the Lord. He's a miracle before the miracle of the Lord. In the spirit and power of Elijah, that great prophet that was taken away from the earth. Uh, uh, so, so he'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready. Everybody say ready. ready. He's making ready. This, this world's not ready for Jesus. They haven't, they haven't trusted and believed that he's coming. He's going to make them ready. Um, uh, I lost my place. Verse 17, he'll go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children of disobedient to the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so Zechariah has just heard all this stuff. He's prayed his whole life for a miracle like this. And yet when it comes, he's not ready for it. He doesn't believe it. Now, have you ever prayed for something, and the minute it came, you're like, oh, that probably wasn't real. <laughs> I mean, you've asked God, you, you know, you've asked for a miracle, you're praying for something, the doctor comes back and says, you know what, the report looks a little bit different, and you're like, can we get another test? You know, this is where he is. He's like, he's praying for a miracle, he's just seen an angel 
And Zechariah's answer, verse 18, if you want to know what not to say to an angel dispensed from heaven, here's what you don't say. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Well, it could start by the fact there's an angel in the room. And I'm a giant, okay? You, and it kind of ticks off the angel. Watch this. I'm an old man and my wife is well in years. It's really good to help God know stuff. By the way, if you're praying and you're feeling like you need to explain something to God, something went wrong in your prayer. Can I tell you that? If you're, you're needing to explain to God why he can't answer your prayer, that you need to stop and, and pray something else, okay? So he's explaining to God why it can't happen. And clearly the angel is tired of this. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. This is where I wish we could get like, you know, more than just the words because I'm getting a, you know, Gabriel, that's why. And I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. And now you will be silent. How can I tell that it was right? You know what? I don't even want to tell you that anymore. You're mute. Boom. You know, of all the, you know, I don't think I'd be good at being God because I would zap lots of people, but I think I could be a good angel. You know, you know, somebody's saying some malarkey and you're like, yeah, how about don't say anything for a while. Zap, you can't talk. He slapped him with shut up. Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on, don't you know people you'd like to help them? You, you've clearly learned how to talk, but not how to not talk. Let me show you. If I could have that gift, I would use it many times. I could even use it on Facebook, you know. Oh, I, I read what you put on Facebook. Pshaw! You can't talk or type now. So he says, I'm in the presence of God. Now, you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. It's a long time for a baby to be born, nine months. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them and remained. He's like, I, <laughs> what are the signs? I don't know what the signs, I would have loved to have seen it. When the time of his service had completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife, Elizabeth, who'd been praying her whole life, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So God did it. Y'all, everybody say, God did it. God did. Old lady who was unable to have children, naturally, physically, biologically, couldn't have children, bam, now she can. And, and actually, ladies, God gave her two miracles. She could have a baby and her husband couldn't talk for nine months. Come on. <laughs> it got good. <laughs> That's a, such a good thing. So it, this is what happens. Now, here's, here's why I picked this story today. Because the Holy Spirit showed up. Everybody say, God came. God. Everybody say, the Spirit came. Spirit. You understand that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christmas, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Christ, that's God's Spirit on the earth. Jesus is, is later going to say, I'm going to go away. And when I go away, I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. He's lived with you, but now he's going to live where, church? In you. That's the goal of every believer is that we don't just follow God out of a sense of obeying the rights and wrongs and the do's and don'ts, but we have God inside of us, that we have a relationship with him. And this is one of the first places, see, because Jesus hasn't come yet. Jesus hasn't died yet. Jesus has, has not ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit. This is one of the first places where we literally see the Holy Spirit come and start to deal personally with someone. He comes in the form of an angel and freaks him out. 
Let me show you two things out of this story. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. I'll put the notes in your worship guide. We have free notebooks for you to pick up. Keep your notes every week. Two things I want to tell you. By the way, you get the Daystar app. It's got the notes in there. Two things that happens when the Holy Spirit comes in your life. Write this down. When the Holy Spirit comes, religion, which is what all Zachariah had, becomes relationship. Everything changes now. Zechariah and Elizabeth were fine, godly people. They followed the regiment of, 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 of the teaching of, of priesthood. They did everything they were supposed to do. Elizabeth was barren and considered to be punished by God. Zechariah was considered to be unfaithful in some way, even though Scripture says they're righteous and obedient, and all they're trying to do is prove to God, prove to themselves, and certainly prove to all the religious community we're good people. We really do love God. We're really, you know, and they're just constantly trying to prove it because of this judgmental society looking over them, you know, in, in, in judgmental, uh, leering views. And it occurs to me that, that that culture, that religious culture still exists today. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, there are churches, there are people looking over your shoulder. You didn't say what you're supposed to say. You don't dress the way you're supposed to say. You're dating the wrong person. You didn't vote the way I wanted you. You don't dress how your hair's not the way. And all these where you got too many tattoos, too many earrings, too whatever. It's all about if you don't do it the way I think you ought to do it, then you're not accepted. That's exactly why Jesus came to earth, y'all. And it bugs me 2,000 years later, we still don't get it. You've got a man doing everything he knows how to do to be as righteous as he knows how. He's trying to earn God's favor. He's trying to earn the miracle of a child. God, why don't you give me a child? God, what have I done wrong? He keeps trying to make it right. And all along, what he doesn't know is God has a different plan. God never intended to giving him a son in his youth. Why? Because God had another plan way on down the road. He was going to have to wait. Can I stop and tell you? Some of you are wondering, why doesn't God answer your prayer? Why doesn't God give you what you've asked for? What is it? because I made this mistake when I was 25? Is it because I made this mistake when I was 15? Is it because I'm dating the wrong? Let me tell you, maybe it's because God has a perfect will and a perfect time for you. And when the time is right, if you keep walking out your faith, don't worry if the preacher thinks you did it right, if your mama thinks you did it right, if all the people around you say you've done it right. You just be you and you walk with God. And when his time comes for you, no man can stop what God has in store for your life. Don't worry about mankind. You don't worry about people. You just keep walking with him. Zechariah got one chance. I researched this, and most theologians believe that's his one moment as a, as a, because there were so many priests. There was one moment in his life he would get to go in and perform his priestly duties, and in that moment, God showed him. It might seem like you have waited your whole life. God's overlooked you your whole life. I'm going to tell you, your moment is coming. And when his moment came, God spoke to him, spoke to his wife, the child is being born. He's coming out doing hand signals. And when the child is born, they want to name him. Now, the names are very important back in those days. He, I told you that he's from a priestly line. His wife, Elizabeth, is from a priestly line. And so they're going to have a name that is either from one of those two lines. That son's going to be named Zachariah or Zachariah's father or, or, or you know, Elizabeth's grandfather, some name out of that line because he's all, we've always been good old Baptists and we're going to be good old Baptists till Jesus comes back. I'm just talking to y'all Baptist people, all right, for just a minute. We, we've always been good. Old, I've, I can't tell you how many zillion times I've heard people tell me, man, I just love that church. We just love Daystar Church. Unfortunately, we're Methodists. What does that matter? You know what I'm saying? This is the same thing that right, we're Pentecostal and y'all aren't Pentecostal enough. Or we, there's all kind of reasons to, to, like little religious boxes. There are going to be so many people 
that are going to be confused and disappointed when they get to heaven because they're going to look for their label and find out there's not any labels up there. <laughs> when you get up there, uh, you know, and you're looking for our section, it's the crazy about Jesus section. Just look for that. <laughs> We're just with Jesus. Wherever he's at, that's where we go. You know, this is the same junk right here. This is the same Zachariah stuff right here. Well, you can't, you can't name him John. Are you crazy? He can't be named John. His daddy was a whatever. You see, and see, John was not of their priestly line. Nobody in his family. The Bible says none of his kindred was called by that name. So, you know, you're going to be what your mama was. You're going to be what your daddy was. You're going to be what your granddaddy was. You're not going to be what anybody else was. And so finally, after nine months of not being able to say one thing, he, he's, he's writing. The Bible says, that, that, that Zechariah is writing it on a, a, a tablet or something, trying to get their attention. And finally, he breaks through and, and he's, able, he's like, mm, his name is John. First thing he says in nine months. The last thing he said was the wrong thing nine months ago. And nine months later, he's had a lot of time to think about the right thing to say. He got it right the next time. How many believe if you had got slapped with shut up for nine months, you had plenty of time to get it right the next time? First words out of his mouth, his name is John. I don't want to be mute anymore. His name is John. He'd had a lot of time to think about it. I think he, he, he was saying, I heard the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been talking to me over these last nine months. And everything that I thought was right because it was following the rules and being religious and doing what everybody else thought I should, all that's out. God's telling me he's tired of that rule following. He's tired of dead words on a page determining who I'm going to be. God's saying I'm not happy with a religious environment that alienates you from me. You, you feel like because you've learned the do's and don'ts, you don't need to know me. It's God saying, no, I want to know you. I want you to know me, and I want me to know you. Hey, that's what God's still saying today. Still, just, just as God's Spirit is still moving and speaking to us, there is a true, very real spirit of religion. Still very powerful and fighting what God wants to do in your life. And may, it, it's, it's that spirit that makes you feel like you don't deserve to be in the house of God. Or that you're not good enough to serve. And, you know, I can go to heaven and maybe I can go to church, but I can't serve. I can't lead. I can't share my faith with other people. That's the spirit of religion trying to tell you you don't measure up. Let me tell you, there's only one measuring total, and it's Jesus. And Jesus says, come unto me, all who, are la who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That, that, that's his message to us. He says, I want to know you. So um, imagine putting yourself in this place that you've prayed one prayer your entire adult life, and God won't answer that prayer. That, that's where this couple was. There, there's no answer to their prayer. And then finally, he shows up in the temple. Gets his one chance to be in the temple, and an angel shows up. And the angel says in verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Now, I, I, just follow me with this reasoning here. If Gabriel is standing in the presence of God, and Zechariah is standing in the presence of Gabriel, guess whose presence Zechariah is standing in for the first time in his life? God. Who? God, God, God who? What, 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 what personality of God is there? He exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know who that is? That's the Holy Spirit. And, and I want you to understand the idea of the Holy Spirit. Some, some of you, like uh, Robert Morris, a pastor that, that I, I know and have met, and, um, and I follow him just by his sermons and reading his books. Robert Morris says that, that a lot of people, the, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, and they've been told like his wife told him, you know, you need to stay away from that comforter. That comforter is put on the bed for looks. Don't you lay on that comforter. 
you fold that comforter up and you put it in the corner. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Big, fancy, $150 blanket you're not allowed to get under. You know what I'm talking about, man? Don't you touch that comforter. You get over and put it in the corner with the pillow shams. Sounds like a sham to me. You ever heard of a pillow sham? Whatever. You put that over and you don't touch it. Robert Marsh said a lot of people were told that when they met Jesus. Uh, you, you need to meet Jesus. You need to be saved. You need to leave your sins. But them crazy people talk about the Holy Ghost. They talk about the Holy Spirit, that comforter. You stay away from that comforter. And I told you last week that crazy people were crazy before they met the Holy Ghost. Did you know that? Don't blame the Holy Ghost on people being crazy, right? This is the Holy Spirit. This is, the Holy Spirit is who was speaking to Zechariah. The Holy Spirit is who spoke to Mary and Joseph when they told them, hey, Mary, you have been chosen. And, and Joseph, you're, you're going to be the father, the earthly father of the Son of God. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that when you come to worship and you, you just, man, you just, you just used your last bit of energy to get into worship. Have you ever been there? Like, you're just like, I think I'll sleep in today. I think I won't. But, but something gets you here, and man, you get a download of, of God's presence. That's the Holy Spirit that you felt that day. When the preacher's preaching, and you're like, man, who told him what I've been going through? And why is he preaching just to me? You know, that's the Holy Spirit on that day. When, when somebody calls you, when you're ready to give up, and they just say, I don't know why, but somebody, just, you know, in my heart, I just felt like I should tell you I'm praying for you. That's the Holy Spirit. When, when someone you love is in a car wreck, and you look at the car and it's mangled and the emergency personnel said nobody should have lived and your loved one walked away without a scratch. You know who did that? Come on, church. Holy Ghost did that. You know what I'm talking about? That's what the Holy Spirit does. And see, when the Holy Spirit comes, I want you to write this down. This is what Zechariah found out. A distant God becomes a present God. So many people have this idea of this big man upstairs. This big God upstairs, you know, I'm going to try to make the big man happy with what I do. Let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, it's not the big man upstairs. It's not a distant God. It's a very present God in your life. You start seeing things. You start realizing how present the Holy Spirit's already been in your life. I remember when I was 17 years old, I was working two jobs. I worked all night long uh, from a 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. job. And then I went from there to a racehorse farm. My Sunday school teacher had a racehorse farm. He raised thoroughbreds, and, and I went and, you know, Shoveled hay and other things that we don't talk about in church. And, and that was my job from about five, five or six when I would get there until noon. That was my second job. And then I'd go home and I'd lay down. And then I was dating this amazingly hot chick named Leslie. And so she would get off work at five. And so I would lay down from, to sleep after work from about one o'clock till five o'clock. And that was plenty for me. And then we'd go hang out for a while. And we'd do this, you know, as a circle over and over and over again. And so one day, I'm coming home uh, from the, the farm where I was working. I hadn't had enough sleep. And I just fell asleep. I'm driving on Old County Road. I'm driving my 66 Mustang that my dad and I had restored. And you can hear every bump and feel it in the road, right? And I didn't have the radio on. I remember all I could hear was road noise. I, I could hear that noise, that kind of noise on an old county road. It's a windy road. I just fell asleep. I just literally went to sleep at the wheel, my eyes closed, and, and the sound of the road went away. I remember it like it was yesterday. No sound. And I had a dream. Now, it's one thing to fall asleep, but to dream while you're driving and you're asleep is kind of crazy. I had a dream that two angels came and scooped up my car and that it was floating above the road. Now, I don't, I mean, I don't know if it was floating. I just dreamed it was, you know. And I don't know how long that was. But in my dream, I'm just, you know, I'm just taking a nap. And, and I can hear no sound whatsoever. 
and my eyes are closed and I'm floating above the road. And then the angels put my wheels back down on the road and I, immediately I heard the road noise again. And that woke me up. And I freaked me out. I was like, how am I still alive right now? But I was, I was I, not even in the middle of the road. I was still, you know, on my side of the road. I've come to believe that the Holy Spirit took care of me in that moment. Can, can anybody believe with me that God's present like that, that he does that? Oh, I, I believe it, all right? You ever had something like that in your life? Something just weird that you can't explain? Maybe it was somebody you love, you look at their car, it's mangled. They shouldn't be alive, and they're alive. Something like that. That's the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be afraid of that. You need to embrace that. You need to be thankful that, that God has such a plan for your life that he's come present. You don't have to fight a religious system and try to earn your way to make the preacher like you or your, your very religious grandmother you know, approve of you. you no, know, what you need to do is lean into that relationship with God. In fact, did you know that Christianity is actually not a religion? It actually is not. The, the earliest followers of Jesus never called it re, uh, a religion or Christianity. The earliest uh, opponents of Christianity didn't call it Christianity. They called it the way. Everybody say the way. It was just meant to be a way of life. It was meant to be Jews who had realized Jesus was the answer to all their prophetic wanderings and waiting. And other believers who were grafted in, Jesus used that phrase, grafted into the vine. And we're, this is our way of life. See, I want you to stop thinking that it's a religion of do's and don'ts. Get it right. Don't do this wrong thing. And realize it's a way of life. It's a walking day in and day out with the Holy Spirit. It's understanding His purpose for your life. See, I, I, I crossed over when I was just a teenager. I remember vividly uh, when I was probably about 17 years old, maybe 18, when a preacher came to our church. And he was younger. I think he was a teenager. He might have been 20. So I paid attention. I wasn't paying attention to the older dude. They might have been preaching the same thing. But the young dude was preaching and I listened. And he talked about prayer. And I remember the guy, strangely enough, the guy was from Coleman, Alabama. Some of you probably know him. But um, I didn't even know there was a Coleman nor that he was from there. It was years later I found out. But he's preaching about prayer and he talked about his own walk with God. He made it so real to me that he talked to God and he listened for God to speak back to him not in an audible voice necessarily but just in an impression that he could feel and he talked me in to trying to really genuinely have a prayer life because up until that point my walk with God had been out of duty instead of desire I wanted to make my parents happy I wanted to make my preacher happy I didn't want to get in trouble with God that was my walk with God a duty, a responsibility. And in that moment, I, I came to know him personally. All of a sudden, he started talking to me about how I was living my life. And not in that you're going to go to hell if you don't do this right or you're going to go to hell if you do that wrong. It was more of, hey, son, I've got a plan for you. It started making me feel like I was a, a partner with him. And, and see, I started knowing that the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And you know, when you read this story, you see the Holy Spirit. We just read it that John was filled with the Holy Spirit. We later realized that, if you keep reading, that John's mother, Elizabeth, when she met Mary pregnant with Jesus, she was baptized in the, in the Holy Spirit in that moment. And then we, we read about how that Mary herself was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then John 20 and in Acts 2, we read about how the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, this is not a book of 
these guys got it right and they're going to be able to make it into heaven because they got it right. This is a, a book of people who are going deeper and deeper and deeper from one experience to the next, deeper into the presence of God where God started showing them His will and His walk for their life. And here's what I want for you. I want you to go deeper with God. I don't know where you are. I want you to go deeper. I want you to know He has a purpose for you. You know, one of the prophets who wrote all those uh, prophetic predictions of Jesus was Jeremiah. And, I, and I've given you two verses that Jeremiah said that, that not only did he speak about Jesus he spoke about you Jeremiah 1 and 5 he says before I he, he's speaking for God he says before I formed you in your mother's womb I knew you and I set you apart you want you to hear that for yourself before God formed you in your mother's womb he already knew what you were supposed to be doing and then later God speaks through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 verse 11 and he says for I know the plans, another translation says the thoughts that I think or the plans I have for you. They are plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And when you call on me, you'll come to me and you'll pray and you'll call on me and I will listen to you. That's God's plan, that you are regularly hearing God's voice speaking to him he's hearing your voice he's speaking to you and you are following his purpose and plan of prosperity and hope and peace in your life and if you think well the way to do that is to be a good church person and go to church and do everything the preacher says i ought to do and don't do the things the preacher says i don't want to do let me tell you you're right where zachariah was you're the reason god sent his son he was tired of that religious System and he wanted a relationship with you. He wants you to walk out that spirit filled relationship.